0: Kate Thompson is a designer and business owner running Happy and Glorious as both an online and high street shop. She sells British made gifts, art and homeware, some of which she designs herself and in less socially distant times also hosts creative workshops in the space. So Kate is the first person we've had on the podcast who has a physical store as well as an online one Um, and she also designs some of her own products herself. So I think you'll find this conversation really interesting and um, hope you enjoy it. Okay, so welcome Kate, it's fantastic to have you here today and I wondered if you could just start by telling us about your business and a bit about the ethos behind it as well please.
1: Of course, thank you and it's lovely to be here. Um, So my business is called Happy and Glorious and I sell British made gifts and art and sort of pretty pretty handmade homewares um, which I've been doing since 2012. Um, I set it up online to start with whilst I was working full-time in an office Um, and I'd previously spent 18 happy years working in indie retail and I kind of knew it was what I wanted to do I knew it was right for me and I really felt it was time to kind of take the leap and create that business for myself. It was 2012 so it was the year of the London Olympics and there was a real sense of optimism and excitement in the air and that's That's not something we do very well in Britain. (laughs) So it's quite an exciting time. Um, And it was also the Diamond Jubilee. So everyone was like, yay Britain, which was lovely. 2012 was also the year that Mary Portis, who's one of my favourite people, the lady is a goddess. She released her programme which was about the importance of British manufacturing. It was called The Bottom Line. And she went into a factory and she reinvigorated it and she got local people to come and work and she made knickers because everyone needs knickers. Um, And it all just kind of clicked together that it was all happening at this particular time. Um, 2011 hadn't been a particularly brilliant year for me. Nothing bad had happened as such but I just felt very flat and I felt like I wanted more and I wanted to create something that was mine all mine um I heard a radio announcer use the phrase happy and glorious as a sort of throwaway comment and I thought oh That'll be a good name for a shop. That, that could sell British made things. Wouldn't that be lovely? And then the day after I had bought the domain name and set up the social media and booked my first ticket to a trade show and placed my first order. So yeah, <laughs> it was a wow. whirlwind. Um, but there's so many talented people making really beautiful things in this country. And of course, there's an ecological benefit too, to keeping things a little bit local. So yeah that's happy and glorious (laughs) fantastic
0: and I have to say happy and glorious is yeah it does sound like a very British name it's a great name it's very British (laughs) so yeah you've just touched then about um about the, some of your reasons for selling uk-made products and i can mm-hmm. see for you know i've had a bit of a look on your website in fact i, I mentioned when we spoke before i had a big look at your website because you sell some beautiful products and i yeah spent far far longer than i expected um so can you talk a little bit about your environmental policy as well because that also seems to be quite an important factor in your business as well as the uk-made side because um, yeah. i saw a lot on there
1: well i i think it is it's such an important thing at the moment um, and it's 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 just so vital it's more vital than ever um but yes i i'm very very keen on the local side of things and that things have a fairly small carbon footprint any business has a carbon footprint but obviously anything you can do to keep it under control is a wonderful thing um so yes um my mum grows my plants for me using compost that we've made from cardboard that can't be reused in the shop um amongst other things um We reuse all our packaging, Um, we only use paper bags, we cut out plastic bags about a year ago, Um, we are using paper ribbon for gift wrapping and tissue paper, Uh, we, yeah, we literally just everything is reused and recycled um, as much as possible because it's just, it's just vital.
0: It, yeah it is and do you have any criteria so that's what you're doing like in your shop and I, t- and I assume for your like, online orders as well but do you have any criteria that um for products that you're selling I've mean, other than being UK made do they have to be sustainable or um just yeah
1: yeah I think I think naturally things are a little bit more sustainable when they're made by one person bands which a lot of my things are but even things like my candles and my bath products I'm vegetarian, so it's very important to me that they are cruelty-free and they are natural and kind to skin because you shouldn't really be putting anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. Um, I've got some amazing soaps um, by a company called Kushboo. Um, and she, every time she makes a batch for me, she also makes a batch for a, home, a homeless shelter which is just so lovely and again she uses all natural ingredients and everything's very pure essential oils oh, it's just lovely and I buying into that ethos it means so much to me and I think I can pass that enthusiasm on to my customers as well and it's something that they really care about
0: definitely because I think you're right I think if you've got a passion and an interest in something it makes it a lot easier to well to sell it really being frank doesn't it Definitely. if you are believing yeah. it so now it's's it's t- along those lines. So how do you go about curating and sourcing the products for your store and for your website?
1: Uh, well, in retail it it's really important to have an ideal customer in mind. that's something you're taught very, very early on or something that you learn very early on and it sounds a bit weird, but I kind of decided to be my own ideal customer, so it's kind of if money wasn't an object, what items would I choose? Um, so I only ever buy things that I really, really love and that I have a connection with and would happily have in my own home. Um, it's important to bear in mind that British made products are often a little bit more expensive. Um, so what I try and do is focus on things that are really built to last. And they, I kind of think of them as heirlooms of the future. So they're contemporary and they're stylish. Um, but, yeah, they're going to stick around for a while. And you're not going to get bored of them. Um, and, then, yeah products that are built to last and then there's a bit of a a focus on nature which i love and color which is very important to me and then a little twist of silliness here and there which (laughs) i think reflects my personality um i've got a lot of clever artist designer friends um i also go to trade shows and social media is a really really good source of finding new and inspiring products as well you look at the people that are following you on instagram and twitter and yeah you see that they kind of fit in with the whole ethos and the style um yeah so that's a really great source and then of course I have my own collection of products that I've designed myself as well.
0: Ah oh, so I'm, oh, I'm wondering which avenues go around first but we'll talk about the products other people's products first if that's okay Ooh, so do you tend to go out and sort of actively look for new products do people contact you or is it a bit of both now that you've been established for so long?
1: It's a bit of both now. I have to say, when I first started, it was a real struggle to find British-made things and I'm so happy how much easier it is now. Um, I think with various economic disasters that we have been through as a nation, I think that's really encouraged people to get in touch with their creative side and I think more people than ever are making these beautiful things and teaching others to create beautiful things and I, I think that's... Yeah, I think that's one of the few benefits that we have seen. Um, so, yeah, I do have people getting in touch with me quite a bit. Um, but, yeah, quite often I, I, have a, I do have a folder at the shop, which any time anyone sends me anything, it goes into the folder for consideration. I never make quick decisions, snap decisions, because um, it just has to feel right and kind of work as a collection with the, every other item. I want every item in the shop to look right next to another item, which sounds a little bit um meticular (laughs) but I think that's important
0: it is it sounds like you've got a really strong vision and you're sticking to it and that's fantastic
1: yeah yeah Yeah, I think I think it is important and I am pleased that eight eight and a half years down the line I'm still I still have the same vision and I'm still working to that even though so much so much other um, so much else has changed in the last few years
0: And I think, I imagine, I don't know from from my experience, because I create my own products, but I, I kind of imagine that having a really strong vision must help you because you're not going to get swayed by something that looks pretty, but doesn't kind of fit with your ethos or kind of be something your customer would like, if that makes sense. I can, because I can see that you probably have, you know, so many fantastic products that you could stock. Obviously you're not going to take all of them. And I guess having such a strong vision must really help you when it comes to narrowing down, okay, what am I going to take and what won't I? Does it help with that decision-making process?
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, when I, when I initially started, I actually had, um, I mean, when I, when I first set up my, my website, I literally had, I don't know, 25, 30 products, something like that. And I had a mood board that I would, I would cut out pictures of things that I was interested in and I would put them onto the mood board to check that it all worked together. Um, but now I sort of carry that mood board in my head. But yeah, it really does. Um, I, have to, I have to feel a strong connection to the product before, before I make any kind of firm commitment. But yeah, I think it, I think it does really, really help keep me on track.
0: Thank, thank you, so there are so many different things I want to talk to you about today, but perhaps next we can move on and talk about your products your your products you create yourself because we mentioned those um a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. so can you just um, tell us about about yeah, just tell us about your products, what kind of products you create yourself, and a bit about that process and obviously i 'll you know ask questions as they come up if that 's okay
1: sure um well, when I first started designing, it was just kind of about kind of about um drawing and painting just for the sake of it really i did art at UCSC, and then i was going to do art at a level and i think i did one class thought everyone else is better than me and then quit <laughs> did something entirely unrelated um so yeah i didn't really have a plan in mind and didn't actually intend to make things i was just having some time to myself um i was renting a studio where I was storing a lot of my products and between visitors I would be taking photos and I would do sketches and sort of play with pen and ink and I ended up being quite pleased with the floral designs that I did and I managed to find a potter in Stoke-on-Trent that could put them onto mugs and it was very very exciting and a huge huge leap of faith and a massive initial outlay um I had to order 125 of each design just to keep the cost down. Um, But they've been so successful. And I think having my own exclusive range has really, really helped the business. Um, And I've kind of started expanding that. I've done another two mug designs and I've had them printed onto jugs as well, which is really nice. And I'm planning to keep going with that and possibly add a wholesale arm to the business as well to kind of spread the happy and glorious name a little bit further um yeah so I I really when you're wearing as many hats as you do as a retailer you don't always get time to do the fun creative stuff but that's something I really want to look at and that's something that lockdown has kind of taught me that I need to get back to just doing things for the fun of it and then yeah creating from that rather than sitting down deciding I need to make something to sell um (laughs) because it's It would be a much freer, more creative, more pleasant process if I'm just doing it for fun and then see what happens. So fingers crossed, I'm going to do a bit of that.
0: That sounds fantastic, and I'm really pleased that they've, you know, they have proved popular. Because what you've said, and you've said it so casually, and I often find this when I talk to people, they say so casually. Oh, and I found someone to make this. You know, you said about finding a potter, to, you know, to put your designs onto mugs. But that's actually not a small thing that that you've done, and you you say it, um, yeah, so casually now. But I, I'm guessing at the time, did you feel that relaxed about it at the time? Because it sounds like Absolutely it must have been not. Yeah, I was thinking it must have been a big leap of faith. Um. <laughs> i think
1: i think when you're when you're in business for a long time and certainly it felt at the beginning that the steps i was taking were very very slow to actually get to the point where i had my own shop i think you take so many small steps that after a while it kind of they kind of diminish um yeah you take lots of small steps and then you take bigger steps and it all kind of diminishes as you take bigger and bigger steps so ordering those mugs was a massive thing but to me that wasn't more massive than a few years later taking on a four-year lease for a shop for a proper shop um (laughs) so yeah I think I think you just get used to making those decisions and you get a bit bolder yeah so that was my first order was in 2015 for the mugs and to me that seems like a tiny little blip on the horizon now (laughs) but at the time yes i was i was thinking i'm going to be left with 500 mugs here (laughs) no one will want them imposter syndrome um yes i'm delighted to have been proved wrong
0: and by that point did you have an idea of your customers so did you have a you know did, did you have I'm assuming that by that point though while it was still a massive undertaking and it's really scary to spend any money on products did you by that point have a sense of who your customers were and whether these products were something that they would be interested in
1: I think so um because I had um previously gone to sort of gift fairs and that kind of thing and I'd also started doing gift parties in people's houses. i had been to lots of trade shows, I'd seen what was available and I wanted to sort of create my own version and clearly there was and still is a a real focus on natural forms and also it was important for me to use the blue and white colouring because I remember the blue and white china that my granny had and that my auntie had and everything so I wanted something that was very contemporary but still sort of spoke to that sort of sense of classicness um so yes I think I think I felt confident enough that it was going to be okay and that the customers were like would like them but I don't think I was prepared for how much they would like them because I've done numerous orders since then I'm just I'm just about to place another one so yeah it's really exciting to watch it grow from that initial pen and ink
0: (laughs) it's really exciting and what I'll do actually is so that people because I know people might you know obviously can't visualize them in the um show notes for this podcast episode I will link through to your designs as well so that people can actually go over and have a look and kind of see what it is that we're talking about I think that would be really helpful um and so you mentioned your shop a moment ago so is it two years ago that your shop opened Am I got Uh,
1: actually just over three that I've been in Cranbrook I started with the website in 2012, as I said. Um, A year later, I started going to gift fairs. And the following year, I started going to sort of pop up shops and gift parties in people's homes. So, like a Tupperware party. Other storage systems are available. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yes, basically, I was set up in people's homes. They would invite their friends around and they would get a commission, um, which was really, really fun. I enjoyed doing that. But then I did a pop-up shop in Ashford in Kent, which was a a Portis pilot town, and they were doing a big regeneration. And they invited me back, the council, to take on a a unit for a year at a reduced cost, at a reasonable cost, and kind of test the high street. Um, They had bought a shopping centre and they were trying to fill it with independent businesses so that was so exciting that was the most exciting thing Um, it's a really good way for me to test the high street and to kind of talk to customers and I also built an amazing support network of other independent businesses and they're all still my close friends so I stayed there for a year which was great and then after the year was up I saw the shop in Cranbrook and fell in love with it because it's the most gorgeous 15th century space, and it's got original features and an enormous window, which is fabulous for my displays.
0: Wow, so again, these seem like really huge, scary steps. So, coming back (laughs) to when you were asked to take a unit in Ashford, um, had you at that point ever kind of worked in a retail space before? How did you, I'm just wondering how you even go about the mechanics? To me, it just seems so daunting, you know, sort of setting out a shop. Um, How did you go about that?
1: Yes, it was. It was all a bit unknown, to be honest. I mean, I I had a, a job in an independent shop when I was seventeen, and I ended up staying there throughout my A levels and throughout my degree, and I continued to work there afterwards. I had a, a lot of people saying to me, "What? When are you going to get a proper job? When are you going to do something proper?" And I am a big believer in carrying on with something all the time you're happy at any point you start to feel unhappy then it's time to go but if you have happiness if you have contentment that is so much more important than career as far as I'm concerned um so I kind of decided that that was that was my path I could do displays I was used to talking to customers um I think it's a fantastic way to increase your confidence when you have to talk to people all day um so yeah it was just it felt very natural that my journey was going to take me towards having my own shop. Um, And I had an awful lot of support from Ashford Council. They had a great um, kind of retail advisor who had previously had her own indie shop. And she came in and there was lots of coaching and lots of support. Um, But yeah, it it was scary. But it was also a really, really exciting time finally achieving my dream that had been 20 years in the making.
0: Yeah, and I guess as well that it must have been. Was that perhaps sort of a, um, a kind of a step on the way to having your own store in Cram, but Kind of an easing in kind of thing.
1: Would I think you... it was really um, because it was a way of testing it. I d- I didn't know if I would be okay, if it would be successful, if I would be able to you know pay my rent and everything. It was a bit of a leap of faith. Um, but yes, it was. It was a really good way of. of trying it out and seeing how my stuff was received and practicing my window displays. so yeah it was like Fisher Price my first shop really.
0: <laughs> yeah I guess there's a lot to learn so you have to learn how to lay out a store and dress your window and all of those kind of things because I guess when you're selling online it's all about product photography and writing you know, descriptions that sell. But I guess yeah. in an actual physical retail environment, it's completely different, isn't it? How do you even go about learning those skills? Is it trial and error or um I
1: think so? Um I mean because I'd had quite a bit of experience previously in another independent shop and the owner was very happy for me to do displays and for me to do windows and everything. I think I was very lucky to have that opportunity. Um, and of course independent retail, I've also worked in um, bigger stores and the, the soullessness and the rules and the if you're not allowed to breathe you're not allowed to have creativity and I found that really really stifling um, but yeah I was very lucky that I was able to yes spread my wings a bit in that independent environment um, but I think if you've got an eye for design if you've got a You just kind of know when it's right. It's not that it looks right; it's that it feels right. You know when something is finished, and that is that's a bit of a gift, I think. And I'm I'm lucky to have that. That doesn't sound too big-headed. No, it Um, doesn't (laughs) at all.
0: Not at all. We all have our strengths. I mean, that's a gift I certainly don't have. But I think that you know, all of us have different experiences and and talents that we can draw on. And um, yeah. Okay, so um, so right now, so you have the shop and you're also selling, selling online. So has having the shop changed the mechanics of your business at all?
1: Um, I think it has um, to a degree um, because as a retailer, you have to wear so many different hats. So I have to be bookkeeper and serving customers and packing orders and um, everything like that. I think... I think it is very easy to get a bit too focused on one thing. And the shop very much is a monster that eats time. Um, <laughs> there's always something happening. You can plan your day to the absolute minute, but something will always happen to change that plan. But I, I, I also like that spontaneity. That's important to me. Um, but yes, I think having a website, certainly during lockdown where I've been just dealing with online orders, it's very methodical. It's very restricted. It's very it's it's not social. Um, so so having a shop is is it's exciting socially. I'm going off on one now, rambling. What was the question? Sorry, I,
0: well, again. I was just asking about how much the business had, or if the business had changed. You know, adding the the shop to it. And actually, a follow on question from that, if that's okay, is so you've mentioned that all of the different hats you have to wear. Is it still you doing everything, or do you have any support? at the moment
1: uh i actually i employ my mummy <laughs> oh. which is very very nice and um yeah she does sort of a couple of days a week for me um which is really good we work well as a team i'm very creative and come up with silly ideas she's also creative but she's also very very practical so she can either talk me down from bonkers ideas or <laughs> she will find a way that we can implement them. So we do work together really well as a team. Um, but the mechanics of the business do change, I think, when you're, when you're running a shop, because anything can happen in a day. Um, you can plan to the last minute, but you can guarantee that something will happen that changes everything. And, yeah, best laid plans, they go astray when you have a shop. <laughs>
0: Yes you have to be very reactive and it's good to know that you've got some support as well because it just seems like a mammoth task kind of working in your store and also I assume are you fulfilling your website orders from the shop as well so that's kind of your base?
1: Yes at the moment um, I'm looking into getting a sort of EPOS system um, because at the moment I tend to bring things home that are on the website so I don't sell them twice if you know what I mean. Yes. Yes, so it's been a, a real project to, to get more things online and I want to have it eventually all in one space. So I'm running everything from the shop. Um, so that's what I've been working on lately. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it is. It's it's a massive, massive time suck. Um, days do not go slowly when you have a shop, that's for sure. Um, yeah, but it's, it's great to have um, my mum's support. It's really, really important so she can get on with serving customers and um yeah i can work a little bit more on the business rather than just in the business
0: yeah that makes sense i mean we've talked about lockdown a few times you know it's come up during this conversation so we are recording this on i think it's the 26th of may who knows the days of all um (laughs) (laughs) it's either the 26th or 27th of may so we're still in lockdown at the moment and your shop is still shut although um looking to open again very soon so how um so how has lockdown in the UK changed your business and how you operate I mean other than your shop being closed of course
1: yes obviously that was the first thing I had to close my shop I'd actually decided on the Saturday before the lockdown was announced that I was going to do it because I felt like it was irresponsible to be open for you know pretty things that weren't actually essential so I'd already decided to close um before before mr johnson announced it um so it's the right thing to do but in february i could kind of see that lockdown was going to be inevitable i could see it coming um and i created a strategy to kind of get get the business through the difficult time ahead so i decided to spend some really solid time working on the website it doesn't it doesn't get neglected as such um but it it doesn't get as much attention as the shop because it it's so demanding of my time. So it's kind of easy to let the website just tick along quietly in the background. Um, But since lockdown, I've photographed and added, I think 150 products or so. Um, And I've also pushed social media really, really hard, which I wasn't doing enough before. And I've worked a lot more on my email newsletters as well, which again, have not been my priority, even though they should be. Um, So I've been really, really lucky because I've had lots of supportive customers and I've, I did the figures a couple of days ago. And since lockdown, I think it's 58% of all my sales have been from people who would have come to the shop. Um, so it's really, really local people, which is so lovely. Um, we have now been told that we can reopen on the 15th of June, all being well. Um, so now is the time for a strategy to, to kind of make a small shop safe for me and my customers. And I think it's going to be a very different kind of world post lockdown and it's going to put my creativity to the test to work around all the challenges that we're going to face. But
0: I think I can do it. Do you know from the conversation we've had so far I definitely think you can do it I'm so <laughs> impressed that back in February you were already planning a strategy for what to do during lockdown because I, I do think that even though we all kind of had knew it was coming I think so many people and I, I'll include myself in this just didn't have any kind of plan and then it happened and then just went Okay, now what do I do? So I'm mm-hmm. incredibly impressed that you had, you know, the foresight to mm. to plan for it, and I'm sure that you're already planning for reopening because that's only a few. Is it two weeks away now? Until uh, you...
1: Two and a half or so. Yeah, I think. I think for me, it was something that was worrying me. It was something that was frightening me, both in terms of the virus itself, obviously, which is awful and terrifying. Um, but also in terms of the business. At that point I didn't know that the government was going to provide grants and I thought, if I have to close for two weeks, how silly I was to think it would just be two weeks. Um, if I have to close for two weeks, what will I do? Will the shop be okay? You know, how am I going to strategize? So if there's ever anything that I'm frightened about, that I'm worried about, one of the first things I do is write it out, get it out on paper. I do a little process chart. So if this happens Will I do this, and if yes, will I do that? And I just kind of follow it until I reach a point when I go, "Okay, it will be okay then." <laughs> so yeah, I think that is a really, really helpful thing to do when there's anything business or personal that is worrying you is to get it out on paper, work out your best case scenario, your worst case scenario, kind of just follow that, follow that flow, and yeah, it gets you closer to a plan. And in um, my, my partner always says that action is better than inaction. So yes, I live
0: by that. Yeah, and I think that's fantastic. And actually a saying that I live by, which is quite slightly different, is that action is an antidote to anxiety. Mm. Because I find that often if you do something, anything at all, doesn't matter what it is, it makes you feel slightly better. Although having said that, I mean I, I know that I certainly can, you know, and I'm sure many people listening are, are in the same of, you know, head in the sand sometimes rather than facing things head on. Mm. But um, I really like your approach and I'm going to try that next time. There's something on my mind. I'm going to, I'm going to try that because I really like the thought of thinking about different scenarios and, and what yeah. you might do, because you must feel so much more confident.
1: It certainly helps. It, it just kind of, it kind of just shows you that even if you don't think, I mean, I start off being very ostrich head in the sand, it just kind of shows you that whatever happens is that you can cope you have got a strategy for coping somewhere in there you have to dig about for it but if you're aware of what might happen and how you can cope with it you do feel a lot more confident and I think that is I think that's really important and you get to use colourful pens and that's always a good thing
0: (laughs) that is always a good thing (laughs) completely agree (laughs) Okay. So Kate, just a few questions to finish off. So first of all, and by the way, apologies if you can hear my four-year-old singing in the background, that is the reality of life in lockdown, I'm afraid. (laughs) Um, So tell us, what are some of the things that you love about running a product based business? Whether that's the shop or the website, both, what are some of the things you really enjoy?
1: Oh, there's so much really. I mean, running the shop always been an important thing to me when i when i first started working in retail when i was 17 i was painfully shy really really desperately shy i did not make eye contact when i i mean this was when i was doing my a levels i used to eat my lunch in the library so i didn't speak to anyone or talk to anyone i didn't socialize i was so ridiculously shy but retail it kind of forces you out of your own head have to be entirely mindful you have to be in that present moment and so any worries and fears and concerns that are at the back of your mind they have to stay there for a full day and you have to paint on a smile and just be okay and I think that is enormously helpful <laughs> for your mental health um, and I think that that being in that sort of environment and being in retail has completely transformed me um, so I love the sort of social element I love getting to know the people of the town its actually a town that I went to school in a very long time ago and I kind of already know some of the people and I know what they like and yeah. So choosing a product or designing a product and then selling it, it feels like the ultimate compliment. Someone is saying you have good taste or you made something beautiful and that's yeah. A little ego rub every day, which is really nice. Um, Or doing the window displays is my favorite, favorite job of all the jobs. Um, literally the first job I do when I go back after Christmas is to plan the entire year of windows um, and the color themes and you know what sort of creatures I will have hanging in the back. I, I um, do paper cuts of various, at the moment I've got bees. So, you know, um, a few weeks ago I had dragonflies. I've had um, yeah, various types of flower. So, yeah, I just I just plan it all out and then have a lovely time in front of the TV, cutting out beautiful things to hang in my window. Oh, there's so much, There's so much I love about it and making friends as well. I've, I've got suppliers. I've got um, people in Cornwall and Devon and Cumbria and Wales and all over the country that I've never met and yet we have this ongoing relationship we're chatting about their families and we're chatting about you know really deep emotional stuff and these are people I've never met but I still consider them to be friends so yeah it's like I've got this little community makers and I'm at the center of it which is really special.
0: It is. That's lovely. Thank you so much. Okay. And the final question is, so what is your number one piece of advice for anyone out there who wants to start their own products business? So whether that's creating a product themselves or to have a business model, sort of similar to yours selling other people's products, what is the main piece of advice you would give to someone?
1: That's really tricky because I could go on for hours.
0: <laughs> okay, top top two then, if you top can't pick two, one.
1: Top two, oh gosh. I would say give yourself deadlines is really, really important because everybody says, if I had time, I would do this. And these are people with proper jobs, <laughs> as I term them, and people with all sorts of things. But you have to kind of make time which is, I know sounds ridiculous, but the time is there. Time is an infinite source. We have it, but you just have to let something else go in order to make time to do the thing that's important to you and the thing that you love. Um, So, yeah, just be a little bit determined and kind of try and do one thing a day that just pushes you a little further along that road. I think that's, that's really important and I would also say don't be afraid to fluff up I think that's really really valuable I've had ideas that kind of seem like strokes of genius and when I put them into practice they just completely flop but that doesn't mean that the idea was bad and it doesn't mean that I was wrong it could be the timing or it could be the approach it could be any number of things and every every fluff up is an opportunity to learn. And if you put them on the back burner, it doesn't mean that you can't use them in the future and they will suddenly spread your wings and let you fly. So any, yeah, any opportunity to train and to learn. Oh, and and also, oh, get a business coach. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm sure this is like five things. Um, But yeah, I've got a business coach who is just brilliant. I don't use him as much as I did when I started because. I find that the things come naturally to me, but it's so helpful to have someone that you can bounce ideas off. They're positive and they're realistic. You can talk about your business for hours on end. Whereas if you do that with a friend or family, you might have concerns about you. or all, oh, be careful, be cautious. Don't do that. Or I wouldn't do that. Whereas if you've got a coach, they will just help you work out what you want and how you're going to it and then support you on the steps that you need to do to kind of reach your goal.
0: Thank you so much. So, yeah, these are all fantastic suggestions. Um, yeah, I agree with all of them. And yeah, thank you so much for all you've shared. You've been such um, a wonderful guest. Thank you so much. You've been so enthusiastic. Um, the, you know, the, your love for what you do really comes across. So, oh, thank you for that, and thank you for sharing so much, um, so much with us. Everything you've shared has been so valuable. And yeah, I just love your enthusiasm. Um, and yeah, it really shines through. So, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. That was lovely.
0: I really hope you enjoyed this interview with Kate. I hope you have found it useful. As always, if you have any feedback, comments, questions, you can email me at vicky at tinychipmunk.com. I would also absolutely love it if you could leave a review for this podcast. It really does help other people find it and listen to it. Um, If you've got a few minutes, you can go into Apple Podcasts and write a short review. But if you only have a couple of seconds, you can also go into Apple Podcasts and just leave a star rating. It literally takes a second or two, just one click of a button. And, to rate the podcast and I would really appreciate it well thank you so much and see you soon if you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024 I really recommend my podcast host Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these, and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.